Y2, green right off, nasty. Hound 2, Y booty, X facing back right on. 580! Green 87! GLIAC Football Weekly starts right now. Now here's your host, Jake Reitma. Oh yes, it is GLIAC Football Weekly. I am your host, Jake Reitma. So glad to have you along for the only show dedicated to the latest and greatest on the gridiron in the GLIAC. It's GLIAC Football Weekly. And folks, I just, I, I'm going to level with you. I always do. Not to be a broken record, but I just, we got to take a moment to just give us all a round of applause for what week seven, the rivalry weekend in the GLIAC represented. And I'm also, I'm just going to say it now, I'm probably going to have to pause a couple times throughout this episode, collect my thoughts. There's so much, so much to unpack from week seven on the gridiron in the GLIAC. We had rivalry trophies. We had an anchor bone showdown. We had the Miners Cup, the Axe Bowl. Wayne State gets their first W. And wow, I'm I'm already, already getting a little bit worked up. You hear it in my voice and, and I'm a little bit under the weather. And so it's just gonna be, it's gonna be a smorgish board of just whatever happens, happens here on GLIAC Football Weekly. But same format, we'll recap week seven on the gridiron in the GLIAC. Our featured interview, head coach of the Saginaw Valley State Cardinals, Ryan Brady. A really fun conversation with him. He's in year two of his tenure at SVSU. And we get a little reminiscing in there as well, which was a lot of fun. So my thanks to Coach Brady. You'll hear that interview in just a moment. But before we get into that, and of course, of course, we close it out with our picks. And and a really good mailbag this week. We had some really good questions as we start to move into that time of the season where we can start predicting some regional regional rankings, looking ahead to what could be what could be shaping up for the postseason and all that good stuff. So here we are, GLIAC Football Weekly, second season, and it is episode number eight of the year. I'll start with just the final scores from last Saturday, week seven on the gridiron in the GLIAC rivalry weekend and just knock them out one by one and then really try to, to dive into each one before we get to Ryan Brady's interview. But the much anticipated, everybody was watching it. All eyes, in, not only in the GLIAC, but in the country, were on Lubbers Stadium for the Anchor Bone Classic, Ferris State, Grand Valley, using, of course, the D2Football.com coaches poll. This was number two versus number six, or the D2Football.com top 25 poll, not the AFCA coaches poll, but very similar. Ferris State, number two. Grand Valley was seven in the coaches poll, six in D2Football. But point being, showdown of top 10 programs, and in a word, it was epic. The Bulldogs get the win 35-28 to in a game that featured, I said in the column, just about everything you could imagine. I mean, there was trick plays with the fake field goal that Ferris ran. There was game-changing turnovers with the scoop and score that Ferris State took back all the way for a touchdown at the end of the first half. A 14-point swing. You know, the onside kick recovery. And and really, it just was an epic matchup that I think a lot of times games can be so hyped, and rightfully so. We should have hyped this up. I mean, think about what we had here. 
and, and, and it was a record crowd on hand, but this was a game that lived up to it. Over 17,000 people in the building at Lubbers Stadium. I had the chance to talk to a couple of Ferris coaches afterwards who, who said this was just a, an atmosphere, you know, all the credit in the world to Grand Valley for the atmosphere. I think you saw it if you watched any of the uh, post-game pressers, both from Tony Anise and Matt Mitchell, that this is this represented what D2 football was all about. Now, now I did get some reports from uh, both sides that uh, uh, both fan bases weren't always on their best behavior. So let's, if you're listening to that and you acted like a, you know, maybe you didn't put your best foot forward. If these two teams meet again, let's try to avoid that side of it and focus on the good, which is some of the best Division II football. I'll say it, the best Division II football you will see. But Ferris gets the victory. They are now number one, number one in the country for the first time in school history. And oh, by the way, they also swept the GLIAC player of the week offense, defense, and special teams all from Ferris State after that win in the Anchor Bone Classic. So Jared Bernhardt made his first start in several games. I want to say five games and was your GLIAC Offensive Player of the Week. Alex Thomas, the cornerback, was the GLIAC Defensive Player of the Week. And Cy Barnett came back, who had also missed some time and was your Special Teams Player of the Week. All that in the 35-28 win over Grand Valley State. And I mentioned it, record crowd, over 17,000 fans in attendance. But some of the numbers, real quick, Bernhardt, pretty impressive. 12 of 16, 217 yards with two touchdowns, 160 16 rushing yards on just 23 carries that was a game high so you have to give him a lot of credit and and Thomas in in, in on the defensive side of things was impressive Alex Thomas uh, had one of the game's biggest plays with that 99 yard scoop and score that I mentioned that was right at the end of the first half and instead of it being 14 14 Thomas makes it a 21 7 lead for the Bulldogs heading into the break so incredible job by him and then Barnett as I mentioned also, he's he's a wide receiver, which is is crazy that he can also do the specialist stuff and had missed some time due to injury, um, but uh, he was successful on all of his extra points, and he had three punts for 115 yards, averaging 38.3 yards per punt, and then the 56-yarder to flip the field in the first half. So impressive for Ferris State on all different accounts. Tony Nice now 9-2 in his career against Grand Valley. The anchor bone trophy stays in big. Big Rapids and the Ferris State Bulldogs are the number one team in the land for the first time in school history. So a credit to them, kudos to them, hats off to the Bulldogs. And I guess I'll mention it. I will mention it. I don't often like to do this. Yeah, who are you kidding, Jake? You always do this. Three and one on the picks, and the one I was incorrect about was Wayne State's victory, but I, I am proud that I, I went with the Bulldogs, had a gut feeling that they were going to pull it off even on the road, which they did 35-28 to 28 over Grand Valley. Uh, another rivalry game and a trophy game. Up to the Upper Peninsula where we saw Michigan Tech pull one out against Northern Michigan late. Uh, 21-14 the final in this one. Will Ark finding Jordan Jansen for the game-winning touchdown, and the Huskies prevail 11th straight Miners' Cup victory for them. And don't look now. I know Ferris is going to get the attention, and rightfully so. They're the number one team in the land, undefeated. But Fer or rather, Michigan Tech, 4-2 and two on the season now, 
undefeated in the GLIAC, 3-0 in the GLIAC, so technically a tie for first, and they will play Ferris next, so we'll find out a little bit more about Steve Olson's Michigan Tech Huskies, but for this week, week seven, they get the job done on the road against Northern Michigan and win their 11th straight over their Upper Peninsula rival and the Northern Michigan Wildcats. Send it down to mid-Michigan where Saginaw Valley State took care of Northwood 31-13. So the axe will remain red. It will stay in Saginaw. I talked to Ryan Brady a little bit more about that coming up here later in the show. But this was kind of a wild game. Special teams touchdowns, um, kind of a wonky rivalry game. Ryan Brady says it's kind of what you would expect. You can't really expect anything in a rivalry game, but uh, where where things are just kind of all over the place and incredible. Credit Saginaw Valley State. They made the plays when it mattered most. And, and Tommy Scott was impressive running the ball, which is where Saginaw Valley State had success on the offensive end. And he had a long one to seal it um, late in that fourth quarter. But 31-13, the final. The Cardinals keep the axe. And Wayne State. Wayne State gets its first victory of the season in week seven. They beat Davenport. They go to the Farmers Insurance Complex on the road in Grand Rapids and defeat Davenport 16-3, to the final in that one. So all GLIAC teams are, or rather I should say, every team in the GLIAC now has a victory to their name with Wayne State getting the win over Davenport. So one more time, your week seven scoreboard, Wayne State victorious over Davenport 16-3. to Michigan Tech keeps the Miners Cup with a 21-14 victory over Northern Michigan. The Huskies still undefeated in GLIAC play 3-0, and 4-2 on the season. Northwood falls to Saginaw Valley State 31-13. So the Axe, the annual Axe Bowl will stay in Saginaw with the Cardinals and the Ferris State Bulldogs Take down Grand Valley State at Lubber Stadium, 35-28, a one-touchdown win for the Bulldogs, who are now number one in the country. But time now to talk a little bit more about that victory for Saginaw Valley State over the Northwood Timberwolves and our featured interview of the week, our guest, Ryan Brady, the head coach of the Saginaw Valley State Cardinals. All right, as promised, we now welcome on the head coach of the Saginaw Valley State Cardinals, fresh off an Axe Bowl victory. And Coach Brady, I don't want to give myself some credit, but it took a lot for me to reach out to you today to, to have you on GLIAC Football Weekly, but we certainly appreciate you making some time today. How, how are things in Saginaw? Uh, things are good. You know, we just fresh off a big homecoming uh, Axe Bowl victory, and um, so it feels good uh, to sit in here and have the keep the Axe red and have it in my uh, possession for uh, another 365. There it is. And I, I you know what? I, I wanted to get that out of the way from the very beginning. And I got, I got to give you credit too that when we agreed on this uh, via the email, you it made sure to include the little ax emoji so that I knew exactly um, what color that ax was staying. But uh, in all seriousness, a 31 13 victory for you guys over Northwood and really a game that saw all kinds of, um, maybe not necessarily strange plays, but uh, some special teams touchdowns, some special teams miscues for both teams. What was really, as you kind of had a couple of days now to look back on the film, what's been, what was your assessment and takeaways from the win over Northwood? Yeah, it was a typical rivalry game. It was a wild game. There was, there was a lot of different things that transpired throughout the football game, uh, you know, turnovers and special teams plays. And so there was, 
there was some, um, you know, some back and forth action. There was some momentum changes. And so it was, um, you know, it was, it was, I was on edge all the way uh, until there was, you know, two minutes to go in the game. And so, um, you know, I give Northwood a lot of credit, you know, they fought hard and, and played really hard and, and uh, you know, won the third quarter and battled back and, um, you know, made it, made it a game going into the fourth quarter. Ryan Brady, the head coach of the Cardinals, is our guest on Gleak Football Weekly. And coach, off to a four and three start. And uh, I know coaches don't like to look back in the rearview mirror, but to get to this point, you know, you've kind of had a season where um, I would imagine there's been some highs of the roller coaster and then some tough losses too that have all equaled out to that four and three record. In the first seven games, what, uh, how would you assess just the progress of your team and where you are today in, in the middle of October? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had some, had some big wins and we've had some tough losses. Um, you know, our, our schedule has been extremely difficult. I, I would like to like to believe that we play and have played one of the toughest schedules in all of division two this year. Um, and so, um, you know, that's been challenging, um, but I, I love those challenges. I think that's how you grow as a program. You know, obviously I'm in my second year here and I think that's, that's how you, um, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best and you can't be afraid to, to, to take on challenges like, you know, flying all the way to Texas A&M Commerce, um, you know, and going all the way to Bowie State, you know. And so, um, you know, we, we've accepted those challenges, and I think our kids have as well, and we've competed um, really well in all of those big games, really, except for, you know, uh, the Grand Valley game, which we were disappointed in kind of how, how that game unfolded. Um, you just can't make mistakes like we made and expect to, um, to, to, to compete, you know, with the team. Um, like Grand Valley or Ferris State or, you know, Bowie State or, or Texas A&M Commerce. So we didn't, we didn't play our best in um, credit Grand Valley. They played mistake-free and, you know, that, that one got away from us. But, you know, we felt like we've been in all these games. And so there's a couple ones that, you know, I'm still like, you know, not, not sleeping well at night, you know, letting it slip through our fingers here. Um, but that's how it goes. But it was, it was good to see um, uh, the response and the resiliency of our kids and their attitude and their mentality has been incredible incredible this year. Um, so I feel really good about the direction of where we're heading in this program here at Saginaw Valley. And that's exactly what I kind of wanted to lead into. And uh, you alluded to it a little bit, but second year of your tenure at Saginaw Valley State as the head coach, but obviously with everything that transpired in the past, there's that gap year in 2020 with the pandemic. Have you felt like you've had an, enough of a time to kind of implement uh, your, your philosophies, your styles, and everything that comes with taking over a program? Or is that something that still kind of has to happen organically over time? Yeah, I really feel good about, um, you know, in terms of our systems and our coaching staff. And I feel like things have really stabilized here. Um, and so we feel really good about our process and, and the way we're going about our everyday business. And um, that, that's obviously a, a big part of, you know, us taking the next step this year and and being, you know, considerably more, you know, competitive and, you know, we play really hard. We play with a great deal of physicality. You know, we have a lot of great players here. Um, so we're still, um, we're still a work in progress in, in some areas of our, um, you know, team, but, you know, who isn't? And so, um, but we feel really good. We've had a couple great recruiting classes um, and we got a lot of really good young players and they're developing, you know, at a rapid rate here. So we're, we're excited about the future here. Uh, I'm still excited about, you know, what we can accomplish this year. Um, you know, we still, we still have an opportunity to do some really good things. And so, you know, we got four games left and Wayne State's coming to town this weekend and it's going to be another big one. It's the second time we play them. So, 
You know, it's always hard beating somebody twice, but this, this time it's a league contest where it was a non-league game the first time around. So, you know, we would, um, you know, we're just trying to go one and zero this week and, and our focus is on Wayne state and, and trying to do what we need to do to play our best game. And we still have yet to do that. Um, but we continue to make progress week after week. So uh, it's been a fun group to coach. Uh, I love how connected our players and our coaches are, you know, our players are just, um, you know, loving, loving our atmosphere and our environment and they love the coaches and the coaches love the players. And so, you know, our culture is really strong. It's really great. And the kids are believing what we're doing. So uh, it's exciting time to be a Cardinal. And that's really what it, what it's all about. And kind of leads me to my next question, Ryan Brady with us on Gleek football weekly. Um, there's the obvious ways to, you know, assess your progress as a head coach with the wins and losses, but there's so many other factors that, uh, that come into play here when, when you talk about being the CEO of a program and I, I, you're kind of touching on some of them with, you know, um, the, the way your players are connected as a team, that the atmosphere, what they love about being a Cardinal. And so as you look at the rest of the season, um, I, the obvious ones are, are winning the games in front of you, but what are some other things you want to see kind of come into place here as you, you close out your second year at SVSU? Yeah, we, we just really are focused on finishing. We want to finish this season. Um, and that's really like a focal point of everything we do in our program. Um, including our strength and conditioning, is we, we want to finish everything we do, very detail-oriented about the way we go about our business, you know, making sure that our locker room is clean, making sure when we, we leave, you know, the other team's visiting locker room, that that's picked up, that the bus is picked up. We just operate really at a high level, and I just want to see us finish this season the way that we started it, just with a high energy level, uh, you know, being connected, caring for one another, and, and when we close the the book on the 2021 season that we look back and we have no regrets. So, and we talk about all the time, you either suffer the pain of discipline or you suffer the pain of regret. And so, you know, we're just, um, you know, we, we're really, I think young, we have some old guys, but we got a lot of young guys in our building. And so really just, um, you know, we, we, we got a, we got a leadership council. And so really just trying to focus on our leadership council, you know, leaving a legacy here for our younger players and, you know, paving the way here for future success at um, SVSU. Absolutely. And as you, or I guess, as we do the schedule thing and kind of looking ahead of what is in front of you and uh, how you can see those goals play out and, and, and finishing at a high level, Wayne state comes to town, as you mentioned, it'll be the second time you play the warriors. Um, I was at the first game there at Tom Adams field. And uh, for, for, I mean, for lack of a better term, you guys came in and, and took their lunch money, but obviously second time around um, some of the challenges that are presented with playing a team for the second time and just some points of emphasis that uh, you'll be looking to implement this week in practice? Yeah, sure. Obviously, you know, we've, um, you know, we lost our starting quarterback um, in the Grand Valley game. And so, you know, we were, uh, you know, we're developing kind of a new identity um, on offense here. And so that's a, that's a daily process um, and daily transition. So um, it's been going well. We continue to grow and, and kind of figure this thing out, you know, against, against commerce, we played three quarterbacks, you know, last week we played two quarterbacks. And so, um, you know, just, just, just trying to figure out ways to, um, you know, put the ball in the end zone and, and be effective offensively and, and take care of the football. And, you know, from my perspective, it's just trying to, you know, figure out how are we going to put a, together a game plan that's going to allow us um, to get a W on Saturday. And so we've had to adapt, we've had to overcome. And so, you know, this, this Saturday really, you know, Wayne State, you know, they, they give us a lot of different challenges. You know, they're a really good offensive team. You know, their record doesn't reflect how good of a team they really are. Um, they got a lot of good players. They're very well coached. 
You know, they're averaging over 400-something yards a game on offense. They run it well. They do a lot of different things, a lot of different personnel groupings. They run it. They throw it. They screen it. They trick play you. Um, and then their defense is, you know, they run around really well, and they bring a lot of pressure. And so, you know, the first time we played them, we played probably our best game um, of the season. We played really clean. We were really efficient offensively. We threw it well. We ran it well. We blocked well. Uh, you know, we played great defense. We tackled well. We took the ball away. You know, we did all the right things um, to, to, to play that way. And so really our focus is on just trying to play another one of those games. So, you know, right now we got a really good defensive football team. So we play great defense and we're, we're playing really at a high level on special teams. Um, and then we can run the football, you know. And so when you, you can do those three things, you feel pretty good as a football coach. So we're, we're trying to figure out ways to, to better attack vertically down the field um, in the pass game uh, and be efficient in the pass game and be able to keep people off balance because we still have a lot of playmakers here um, in terms of our wide receiver core. So we, have, we haven't yet to see them really explode onto the scene. And so, you know, we still got a little over, you know, 40% of the season to go. And so, you know, we're just working really hard to try to get, you know, our wide receiver group going here um, so we can see, you know, guys like Chad Galliard and, and uh, you know, Isaiah Johnson Mack and Derek Hinton and Casey Williams, you know, explode onto the scene here um, as we close out the season. Absolutely. And, and speaking of, you know, as a coach, coaching experience, looking at uh, your bio, it's, it's ample experience on, on both sides of the ball as an offensive coordinator, as a defensive coordinator. And, and just from, you know, in your opinion, having that, that, that wealth of experience on both sides of the ball, how do you then take that as your role now as the head coach? Do you ever find yourself, you're wanting to do more on offense, wanting to do more on defense, or, you know, now as the head coach, you got to be the, the CEO. And how do you juggle um, just uh, those three, the three different aspects of, of involved there? Yeah, it's hard. I wish I could be in two places at the same time. So like today I was down with the offense and I was you know trying to see what was going on down with the defense. And I wanted to run down um, with the defense today a couple different times, but I had to stay put down there with them. Um, Kind of what we were doing and the kind of the energy level that we we're having today on the offense side of the ball. So it was hard. I couldn't leave, but I, I bounced back and forth. Um, so I spent a lot of time with the defensive staff and, and developing a game plan and strategizing and, and helping prepare practice and, and what we got to do and how we're going to defend things. And then I, you know, then I make my way down and spend a lot of time with the offensive staff and, and, and talk with, you know, coach Burton and coach Miller about, you know, what we need to do and how we're going to do it, and how we're going to get this guy the ball. So it's, it's, it's good. Um, I spent a lot of time um, with our special teams coordinator um, as well and, and developing those plans and concepts. So, um, but I got, I got a great coaching staff. Um, I really trust these guys. These guys do a great job. So very blessed um, to have this group here with me and they're doing an outstanding job. And so that makes my life a lot easier. Um, but, you know, I've been, I've been very fortunate. I've been around some great, great coaches and worked for some great coaches, played for some great coaches. Um, you know, so I think about those guys every day. You know, and I think about what, you know, what would they do? And I, you know, I try to just keep things in perspective and, and think about my past experiences and, and those things. And, and um, it's really, I think, served me well. And I'll continue to uh, keep those guys, uh, you know, in my thoughts. Absolutely. And Coach Brady, I want to be respectful of your time, but I would be remiss if we didn't close it out with a couple of fun questions. I don't know if you saw it on the the outline or not, but, uh, you know, I want to I want to, if you can have you channel your your GLIAC playing days, obviously the quarterback uh, in the early 2000s, right, for the for the Grand yeah. Valley State Lakers. So I want you um, to the best of your ability to give me the uh, and fortunately for you, you know, I played a little bit later, so you can't say me, but some of the toughest guys you played against and then also your your list of your Mount Rushmore of GLIAC quarterbacks. 
Sure. Oh, that's, I, I gotta, I'll, I'll answer the first one. I'll think about here the second one. Cause that, then that's that second question. That's yeah, I, I, that was a loaded two four. That's my bad. I, yeah, that's I, that was, the second one was pretty loaded there. So I'll, I'll give you time with that one. We'll digest the answer first. So just uh, I'll pump the brakes a little bit. Just toughest, sure, toughest so, competitors you played against. Yeah, you know, um, you know some of those um, Grand Valley, Saginaw Valley battles, um, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, you know, guys like, you know, Adam Wheatley and uh, John DiGiorgio, you know, Saginaw Valley is just known to have great linebackers, you know, and great defensive linemen. So they had some great front seven. So it always just seemed like, you know, um, back in the day, it was like, you know, you knew you were going to get hit really hard when you were going up against Saginaw, you know, and so coach Kelly was always dialing up quarterback runs. And, you know, so I was always, you know, kind of felt like I was running for my life against those guys. So, um, so those guys were always really tough. Um, you know, and then, you know, early, um, really prior to my college career getting started, you know, you know, just, just remembering those great, you know, uh, Northwood teams with, you know, Sleepy Collie and Javon Hunter and, you know, your, your, your dad recruited me and I loved your dad. He was awesome. And he really, he really pitched me hard and did a great <laughs> job. It was really hard to say no to him. Um, you know, he had a great vision, a great, great plan, you know, and then Brian was, you know, selling me hard and then Randy Ari was in the picture and I had, <laughs> I had a really tough decision, really didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, I ended up uh, following Coach Kelly and uh, it worked out. It worked out well. And I think really I could have I could have chose any one of those three schools and it would have been it would have been a great decision. So, um, you know, and then it's just uh, the GLEAX, just one of the best Division two football conferences in the country. And so, um, you know, there's just just a lot of um, great players that have come through here um, over the years um, through 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 all kinds of different programs here. Um, in this league. And so it's just a credit to, you know, the coaches and, and universities here and, and what they do to, to provide this kind of level of football here in the state of Michigan. Um, and then talking quarterbacks here in terms of the GLIAC, I mean, you know, wow, that's, um, you know, in no specific order here, um, guys that come to mind that I have been, um, that I've seen firsthand, um, you know, um, Kurt Ains um, was incredible. You know, he won the Harlan Hill trophy. Uh, he should have won it back to back. Yeah. I remember um, watching him when I was a kid. I, I remember yeah, he that was vividly. Being there, you know, practicing with him. I was a receiver, you know, for, for basically almost two years. Um, you know, his balls would leave like marks on your chest, you know, like he, <laughs> I mean, he, he could throw that thing. Right. You know, it hurt. And he was a great athlete too. He could really run um, before he hurt his knees. So, you know, Colin Finnerty is another guy that, you know, had a tremendous career, won a lot of games um, at, at, at Grand Valley. And um, he was someone that I knew really well. And um, so he's a good friend and, you know, may he rest in peace. Rest and, in peace, absolutely. Um, you know, in Fair State, you know, Jason Vanderlaan, um, unbelievable person, player, dual threat, you know, still the all-time leading rusher in college football history at any level. Um, you know, and he, he really could throw the football as well. Um, and then, you know, like, you know, Jay Rue Campbell was special. Um, you know, he, he was just somebody that could just make something out of nothing and just had a just unbelievable ability, like passion um, for the game. Uh, and then you look at guys like Mark Radlinski at Saginaw Valley, um, you know, and Matt LaFleur, you know, those, those, those two were unbelievable. Um, you know, Matt won a lot of games here, led Saginaw Valley to the playoffs three straight times. You know, and then Mark came in and, and, and took over and kept that thing going. And then, you know, I mentioned Sleepy Tolly already at Northwood. I mean, 
people don't even remember how great he was. I mean, yeah. I think they put up 79 on Saginaw in 1998 or something like that. You know, confirmed that you are 100 yeah, yeah. accurate. That's another. I one remember I-, I was 17, 18 years old. I was there. I was watching those games. You know, I came to every every home game at Saginaw Valley my junior senior year. Jerry Kill recruited me, and uh, so I've always been, um, you know, always followed the Axe Bowl, and you know, grew up in this area and been a Cardinal fan. Um, and how, how special no, is that? If, if I just interrupt real quick, just how special is it to coach in the league that you, you played in? And it just always meant so much to you over the years. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's humbling. It's, it's really humbling. I, I can remember when the Detroit Lions used to do their training camp over here and I would come over, catch balls in the net for Jason Hansen, watch Barry Sanders race across the field, running gas. or like, it was nothing. And, <laughs> you know, and, you know, all those Herman Moore and, you know, Wayne Fonts and all those guys driving around on golf carts, crashing into each other, you know, loud, yelling and screaming, having fun. I mean, it was, it was incredible, man. That's you sweet. know, it was really cool. So, but yeah, I know a lot of great quarterbacks come to this league, um, you know, and then obviously, um, you know, you know, Fair State's got a pretty special guy um, this year, Jared Bernhardt, who, who just went out and played an incredible game after taking, I don't know, uh, you know, five or six weeks off. So, um, you know, just uh, the, the, this league just continues to produce great quarterbacks. So uh, it's really cool. And great coaches with great interviews, right? How about that? So I uh, <laughs> certainly appreciate the time, Coach Brady, and uh, wish you and the Cardinals the best the rest of the season. Good luck against Wayne State. And uh, thank you so much for your time here on Gliak Football Weekly. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Ryan Brady, head coach of the Saginaw Valley State Cardinals, and my sincere thanks to Coach Brady for stopping by and spending some time with us on GLIAC Football Weekly. You know, I, I think he took it easy on me, his Cardinals beating my Timberwolves, of course, in the Axe Bowl, and, uh, and uh, he didn't rub it in too much, which I appreciate. But no, in, in all seriousness, uh, fun to reminisce with Coach Brady there. And I think collectively, he and I have probably probably seen more Gleak football than, than a lot of people. I mean, he played in the league. I played in the league. I grew up going to games. He grew up going to games. He's coaching in the league and, and so on and so forth. But fun to, to reminisce about our great conference and some of the best football you will see in all of Division 2. And I know we've talked about that at length in this episode, but uh, it's certainly worth worth reiterating here on Gliak Football Weekly. But before before we get into our Week 8 picks, and uh, you know I should point out 3-1 last week. That's got the record up to 23-12. Still need to be better. Still need to be better, but uh, it's a work in progress. So we'll get into our picks. But a great mailbag question was sent in this week that I want to really dive into and we'll probably continue to dive into the same subject matter as we start to get into the end of October and into November and look ahead to the postseason but Daryl Spaulding of course he's the admin and cues up the the Ferris State Bulldog page on Facebook that uh, I just love those guys I gotta give uh, those guys and gals just uh, you know treat me great and they they interact with the work the column the podcast they're loyal listeners and uh you know, I, I really appreciate everybody from that Facebook group uh, being involved with the content here on both D2Football.com and Gleak Football Weekly. But uh, Daryl is kind of the head honcho over there, and he queued up a great question to discuss this week that states, who and what decides the regional rankings leading up to the first week of playoffs? goes on to say many times in years past a regional ranking will have a lower nationally ranked team ahead of a nationally ranked team so guess what we're getting at here is the discrepancy sometimes between the national rankings 
and the regional rankings. And as it relates to the playoffs, the regional rankings uh, is what forms the playoffs. So in a word, the regional rankings far more significant than some of your national polls. And there's two main national polls. There's the D2Football.com polls and the American Football Coaches Association polls. And both those co- those polls, those national polls, are done by simply voting. And, and that's really actually where I'll start. So the big difference between the regional rankings and and the national polls, national polls, all opinions. It's it's really comprised of the, I, I, I hate to say it's just the eye test because of course more goes into that, but it's all person to person, a committee that's voting on it and doing the eye test and looking at who do they think are the best teams in the country. Whereas the regional rankings have more of a mathematical pro- process behind it. There's there's analytics that factor into it and, and, and a criteria that, that matches up with the regional rankings. And I should even back up a little bit further just to kind of give you the basics. Give us the basics here. So the D2 playoffs are comprised of 28 teams, and that's made up of four super regions. So in, in those uh, of the four super regions, there are seven teams in, in each super region. So if you're following with me, I feel like in this medium, it can just turn into a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo, and you're not actually sitting down writing this down and mapping it out. So I'll, I'll try to be less nerdy, a little bit more uh, high level overview. So look at, think of it like a March Madness bracket. You've got four regions and those four regions are com- comprised of the seven teams that make up those regional rankings. And in the regional rankings, actually, you know what? I'll go ahead and say it. And, and again, this is turning into a little bit of mumbo jumbo, so I apologize. If you if you got to hit the little rewind function, I know there's a little 15-second one. Or if you just want to fast forward to my picks because you really, quite frankly, don't, don't care about this part of it, I understand that as well. But Super Region 1 is made up of the GMAC the MEC, the Northeast 10, and the PSAC. Super Region 2 is made up of the CIAA, the GSC, the SAC, and the SIAC. Now, here's where you dial it in. I know nobody was listening to that part, which is fine. But the Super Region 3, that's what the GLIAC falls under, Super Region 3. So the other teams to look at for your in-region games are teams... Out of the GAC, that's the Great American Conference, and some of those teams would be Southwestern Oklahoma State, Northwestern Oklahoma State, Arkansas Tech. I'm not going to name all of these, but Oklahoma Baptist and uh, Henderson State. I know Harding's in that conference. Uh, Ferris State has played Harding before in the playoffs. And then um, other teams to look at are teams out of the GLVC and that's the Great Lakes Valley Conference, and I believe the University of Indianapolis is in that conference. Lindenwood was a playoff team out of that conference from a year ago. And then there's the MIAA, which has been a a powerhouse conference, um, to say the least, but the MIAA consists of Northwest Missouri State. That's a powerhouse. Pittsburgh State's been good. Washburn's pretty good. And uh, Central Missouri was a playoff team from uh, 2019. They're struggling this year, 2-5, and five, as I pull up their standings. But um, Nebraska Kearney's in that conference as well. So the... Um, I believe, what does the MIA stand for? It's the Mid-American Intercollegiate Athletic Association. Come on, Jake. Come on, producer. Come on, research team. Get it together. We got to be tight and tighten up here. But the MIAA is another conference in Super Region 3. So 
again, going back to the regional rankings, which haven't come out yet, or the super regional rankings, I guess, if you will, which haven't come out yet, that's what's going to, uh, that's what's going to comprise the playoff rankings. So the top 25 poll is great. The coaches poll, um, or the AFCA, American Football Coaches Association poll, also good. But those are just opinions. So the regional rankings are what are going to dictate the playoffs. That's a better way of saying it. So now the question becomes, well, what goes into, you know, forming those regional rankings for when it matters the most? That's the playoffs. And glad you asked. Here's a quick, again, there's more to it, but I'm not going to give you the, the, uh, the verb verbiage soup where it's just words after words after words. Um, I'll give you the, the spark notes version. How about that? So in region winning percentage factors into it, winning percentage against division two opponents, strength of schedule. And of course, then it's, well, how do you form strength of schedule? And that has opponents winning percentage, opponents, opponents winning percentage, and so on and so forth. There's also head-to-head -head competition within the region that is used. And then we have results versus ranked division two opponents. So anytime you're going to beat a top, and though that does go back to the top 25 poll. So that's to say it's important because any big win against a ranked team is going to bode well for you in those regional rankings. So that kind of answers the the frequently asked question, which Daryl was alluding to. Again, thank you, Daryl, for the great question and talking point here is how can someone be ranked? Uh, you know, let's say somebody's number two in the top 25 poll, but they're not, you know, they're they're lower in a region ranking. And then that's because the top 25 polls are opinions and the region rankings take more of the analytics and the mathematics that go into it. So then, okay, I guess some other questions that stem from that are who votes in the national polls and the regional rankings. So the national polls, the AFCA, um, it tallies votes from 30 head coaches representing every conference. And then the other one is the D2Football.com one, which takes the columnists from uh, select columns. I will, full disclosure, I'm not a voter. Um, I have not gained that yet. Still working on it to be a voter um, for the top 25 poll for D2Football.com. But uh, that uh, that maybe, maybe somewhere down the road, They'll give me that that power um, as one of those carefully selected members of the media. And then the regional rankings are determined by the Division II Football Championship Committee. Wow, great, Jake. Who's on the championship committee? Ah, so glad you asked. That's actually available online. Um, but uh, basically, the championship committee is two representatives from each super region. So uh, then, all right, well, who's... Uh, Who's our super region representative then? Again, glad you asked. So I, I, I hope this isn't boring a lot of people, but um, Daryl asked, and it's just one of those things that doesn't have a simple answer, um, but more of one answer leads to another question. So I'm just trying to answer all of the follow-up questions. But the two representatives in the championship committee from super region three is mike babcock the head football coach for mckendry university and matt mitchell the head football coach for grand valley state university so those are your two representatives for super region three on the championship committee in the voting for the regional rankings wow that's a mouthful oh my goodness i'm just you know what i think i deserve to just take a a quick break um, don't go anywhere. We don't have any commercials. Remember 2019, I was queuing up commercials, but, uh, I, I didn't sell out this time around. So, um, I do though need to just take a quick, um, 
I'll say five second deep breath. Here we go. All right, a little bonus coverage here on episode eight of season two of Gleak Football Weekly. We had some late ads into the mailbag, and you know what? I've I've tried to stress this from day one, but I aim to please, and I aim to make this as interactive as possible. Jake, all right, enough, enough. We get it, we get it. But in all seriousness, I, my vision is every fan base from within. The Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletic Conference will have something to add to each show. And so when I get a late submission for a, a mailbag question, I'm going to do my absolute best to make sure I include it. So this week, I actually recorded parts of Gleak Football Weekly a little bit earlier than normal. So when the Warrior House hit me up on Twitter with a great mailbag question, I wanted to make sure I include it. So it sounds a little bit choppy, but deal with it. Um, and I thought it was better to do it this way than try to mix it in seamlessly. So a little overtime, if you will. And, and who doesn't love some overtime? You know, extra innings, overtime, whatever you want to call it. Um, kind of like a shootout in, in the NHL. But here we go. So the Warrior House, again, the Warrior House on Twitter, at the Warrior House. Great follow, by the way. Um, and I've mentioned them even in the column before. But that's enough of the shouting out, enough of that. But again, my goal is to have every team's fan base to be involved with this. The Ferris State crew does a great job, obviously. Um, and I've got some ties with my with my Northwood folks, of course, and some Saginaw Valley State listeners and the Warrior House chiming in but we need a little bit more representation from from the up schools uh not to call them out or anything but you know we could we could we i try to give them as much love as possible some love from davenport would be nice although although if we're really getting into the metrics and sorry to go on and on this is already a long episode but the the episode with Sparky McEwen, the head coach for Davenport, had some of the most listens we've had all year. So, um, and the Grand Valley crew, uh, if they want to get involved as well, I've had some individuals reached out reach out to me. But I'm here, man. I am here to talk about the GLIAC. And so, when the Warrior House sent me a direct message on Twitter, I wanted to make sure I include it. So, enough is enough. Here is the message as part of the mailbag from the Warrior House Twitter's account. That states, as fans of the Wayne State University, these all capitalized easy there. Let's let's tone that down a little bit. What do you think are realistic expectations for the Warriors in the next couple of seasons? Is the competition getting too stiff to be relevant for teams outside of Grand Valley State and Ferris State? Very good question. So I think we could talk at this has already been a little bit longer of an episode than normal. So I'm going to try to keep it as brief as possible. But first and foremost, I, I think Wayne State fans in particular need to pump the brakes a little bit. You are, yes, 2020 was a gap year, but 2019, you finished as a nationally ranked team in the top 25, 9-3 record, and, and things were rolling. So the, the pandemic affects everyone differently. I'm not making excuses for Wayne State because everybody went through it, but you are a season removed from being one of the top caliber programs in the country. So yes, this year hasn't gone as planned. And I think uh, in, in, in today's day and age, I want to make sure I say this correctly. That's why I'm slowing down a little bit. I think with the transfer rules becoming more generous to players and, and hitting up the portal, you definitely see at the division one level, but teams rosters are changing more often. There's more turnover from year over to year over. So, you know, the level of success being sustained is more difficult to do. But also vice versa. You can have quick turnarounds and you can have quick falls, which is what Wayne State is experiencing. So short answer to a very loaded question. I don't think 
teams like Wayne State, Saginaw Valley State, Michigan Tech have anything to to shy away from, and they can be competitive in this league. I didn't include Northwood because Northwood's leaving the conference. And I'll take it a step further. Include, you know, include Davenport, include Northern Michigan. Sure, they're 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 down right now, but I don't think there's anything that is preventing them from being in the upper echelon of the GLIAC. And yes, it's gotten very top heavy in the last couple of years. We've said that from from day one. Grand Valley State and Saginaw, or I'm sorry, Grand Valley and Ferris are kind of in a league of their own in terms of talent and and where they are as programs right now. So there is a little bit of a gap there. But that said, Wayne State 2019 is a perfect example of what can happen when things come together. And for Wayne State specifically, I'll even dive into it a little bit more here because I I have some ties at Wayne State. And if you look over the years, this team, this Warrior team has all been, and not all, has been predominantly based on the type of senior class that they have. And my brother actually was a graduate assistant at Wayne State, coached under Paul Winters um, a, a number of years ago. I don't know exactly the year, but it was when I was at Northwood. And obviously, you know, I'm not just taking this just from him, but you, you look at the years Wayne State's had success, it's been with a strong senior class. And I think that's a testament to Paul Winters and his staff and the way they're able to develop players in this league, you know, and, and Wayne State's very young this year. So that's where I think a lot of the struggles in 2021 are coming from for Wayne State. And you've Wayne State's such a, uh, an interesting case study because they have been at, at towards the top in this league. And then they've had down years like they have going right now in 2021. So be patient, and I know that's that's it sounds kind of silly to say be patient, but Paul Winters is is the longest tenured coach in this league. He's one of, if not the most respected coach. He's very, very well um, well established in the GLIAC. He's been doing it for such a long time. He's the, like I said, the longest tenured coach. That one bad year does not. I, I don't think that becomes the banner for Paul Winters and and, and Wayne State. So. So to answer the question, can Wayne State be relevant? Absolutely. That said, I do want to acknowledge Grand Valley and really Ferris State um, for taking that next step and becoming national powers. I mean, Ferris State, obviously number one in the country right now, and Grand Valley's always had the the national relevance um, throughout the history of their program. Just go to Lover Stadium and you'll see it written there. The most winningest program of all time in Division II football history. I mean, I think it's uh, the largest font you could possibly have on the Jumbotron there. No, no, no. They've earned that. They've earned that. And I say that out of, uh, yes, of course, it's a little bit of a jab, but respect and admiration as well for what Grand Valley has has been in Division II football um, over over the years. So, it's, it's kind of a loaded question there from the Warrior House. I believe Wayne State can be competitive. I believe, look at Michigan Tech right now, and I know the season's early, um, and they haven't played some of the meat of their schedule, but Michigan Tech undefeated in the GLIAC right now. And, and Saginaw, I, Saginaw Valley State's building something there with Ryan Brady um, at the helm. And you're, yes, you're seeing a gap between teams one and one A with Ferris State and Grand Valley. And Ferris, you know, being number one, they've owned that series lately. I need to, I need to acknowledge that as well. But, but I believe the GLIAC, and we had the little discussion about the the regional rankings too. I believe the GLIAC 
at some time could get three teams into a playoff, the three out of the seven in that, that super region three. So who's going to be that third team? Who would step up to do it? Who's to say it can't be Wayne State? 2019, Wayne State was close. You take away one of those non-conference losses, and instead of 9-3, and three, they're 10-2. and two. I got to believe they're making the playoffs in 2019. So not to say that just the playoffs are the only goal, but I hope that answers the question and that, yes, this conference has become very top-heavy with Wayne State, or I'm sorry, with Ferris State and Grand Valley at the very top, but teams like Wayne State, Saginaw Valley State, Davenport, Michigan Tech, Northern Michigan, all should be vying for that. Uh, and, and I would even say vying for the top of the conference. Why not, you know? Um, but to be a playoff-caliber team er, as part of the upper echelon, of the GLIAC. So hope that answers that question. Then we did have one more listener submitted question from my guy, Jim K at Saginaw. And I had to, you know, this is, this has been a very heavy Saginaw Valley state episode. So, um, I, I guess I, I, nobody can say, I yeah, I bleed Northwood blue, but I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not jaded. I'm not, um, I'm not somebody, I'm not, not credible. Uh, geez, that, that sounded better in my head, but you get what I'm trying to say. I am licking my wounds. I'm taking my lumps and acknowledging what Saginaw Valley state is and as painful as it is. So, because I aim to bring the best here on the GLIAC football weekly podcast. So the, the idea from Jim K here, as I pull up his Twitter message is what is the GLIAC going to be doing to fill its schedule? We're seeing home and homes right now with, uh, and this is a good example because Saginaw Valley State and Wayne State are playing for the second time. Northern Michigan and Davenport have already played twice. Is this something that's sustainable? Not really. I don't think it is. Um, and, you know, when Northwood leaves, you're going to have a seven-team football conference next year. And things need to be done. I've heard rumblings of conference expansion and, and you know, looking at some of these potential member institutions to invite to include as part of the GLIAC but at this point it is all rumors so I can't speculate with any specifics but you got to do something and and I don't think that's uh too much of a leap to say that the GLIAC can't continue to prolong not having more teams that have football programs I mean Purdue Northwest I'm gonna try and name them all off the top of my head Purdue Northwest Wisconsin Parkside Lake Superior State all without football and that's um, it's becoming an issue for for the GLIAC. So how will they solve that? They being the front office, of course. I know expansion is the easiest one to look to, but you got to find the right uh, the right fit as well. I mean, if you invited some teams right now um, for football, especially, you're trying to ask somebody to come into a Division II conference that's so well established with one of the the best and deepest conferences from top to bottom, but that depth is obviously dwindling as teams start to leave like Northwood is in 2022. So that's kind of a high level overview with all of it. I'm sure as the season progresses, we'll get into it even more, but, uh, it's always worth a, a, a fun discussion and I don't know exactly how to make heads or tails of it all because there is so much speculation and it's all hearsay and what should in hypotheticals oh we should do this we should do that but something has to be done and uh, I my my I guess prediction worth less than that is, is probably something will be done sooner rather than later because I don't think the home and home is is a very uh, sustainable plan for football moving forward. But that's that. I hope you enjoyed a little overtime session here on GLIAC Football Weekly. We'll close it out with the picks and go from there here on GLIAC Football Weekly. <laughs> 
All right, we're good. Let's look into the picks for this upcoming week, week eight on the gridiron in the GLIAC. Again, last week I was three and one, so close, so close to that perfect week that I've been aiming for. But I feel like I've been three and one every single week, which is why my record, and I mean, the first couple of weeks when we were playing those non conference games, it was all over the place. But 23 and 12 is the record on the season. So maybe. Maybe week eight is when we get our perfect record, but battle for first place is where I want to start because this is going to be a fun one. Michigan Tech undefeated. They're at home. Everything to gain, nothing to lose. Nobody expects Michigan Tech to beat Ferris State, but make no mistake about it, it is a battle of unbeatens in the GLIAC record slate. So Michigan Tech's 3-0 in the GLIAC, as is... um. Fair, or Fair State's 4-0 in the GLIAC, but point being tied for first place. So Michigan Tech at home, I still have Ferris State winning this one, going to Curley Stadium, going to the Upper Peninsula, even after a, a quick turnaround in, in a game that uh, took everything out of both teams, Ferris and Grand Valley. You lay it all out there. It's an exhausting game, but I still think Ferris is too talented for Michigan Tech. So I'll take the Bulldogs. Uh, up at Michigan Tech to get a win. Grand Valley State, same thing. They got to bounce back after the loss, and they poured everything into that Anchorbone game. They're on the road in the Upper Peninsula as well, taking on Northern Michigan. Northern Michigan coming off that heartbreaking loss in the Miners Cup to Michigan Tech. I've got Grand Valley in this one. Just too much uh, rushing for Northern Michigan to handle. Too much of a rushing attack from Grand Valley for Northern Michigan to handle. Give me the Lakers in this one. Northwood and Davenport. Now, this one really does feel like a coin flip. Northwood struggling, as is Davenport. Northwood is 1-5 and five on the season. Davenport, 2-5 and five on the season. And both teams have really struggled offensively. And Northwood's defense has really been torched uh, coming up to this point. So maybe that's what the doctor ordered for Sparky McEwen and the Davenport Panthers to have this offense to try to find themselves against a defense that has struggled throughout the course of the season like Northwood's defense has. However, Northwood is at home and and I, I just, I'm going to pick with my heart on this one. I don't do this a lot, but I don't want to be wrong if Northwood wins again. That happened to me a couple weeks ago and believe me, that was not a good feeling. And and I do feel like it's a toss-up. If you do the whole point spread thing, maybe you get three points for being at home. But Northwood's banged up. They really are. Um, injury bugs. But everybody faces injury. So I'm not using that as an excuse. Please don't take it that way. I've been hard on Northwood. And uh, I say it every week, but I love those coaches with everything I've got. But as, a, as an alumni, a former player, you want to see your school succeed. And so I'm going to take the Northwood Timberwolves to beat Davenport from a 1 o'clock kick at Hans Stadium. And beautiful, beautiful. Midland, Michigan. Last game on tap. Wow, no night games here. Um, everything happening in the afternoon. So it'll be a busy day for the GLIAC front office during the day. But Saginaw Valley, as we heard on our interview with Ryan Brady, hosting Wayne State. Second matchup of the season between these two teams. Saginaw Valley State won easily the first time around in Detroit. That was a game that they controlled from really 
the the opening kick. I believe they led 17-0 at halftime, something something to that effect. Um, but for sure, had a lead throughout the course, and the final was 41-21. So Wayne did um, come up with some points at the end there. But Saginaw Valley really controlled that game from start to finish. Um, this time around, it's tough to beat a team twice. Wayne State coming off a win. Um, and, and maybe that's what they needed to spark this season. So we've seen Paul Winter's squads, you know, respond in years past. Again, going back to 2019, they started one and three. And before you knew it, they were eight and three and ranked in the top 25 at the end of the season. So maybe I'm not calling for that quite a dramatic of a turnaround because obviously they started 0 and six, but they are coming off a win. Saginaw Valley also coming off a win over Northwood. Another toss up, but I'm going to go with the Cardinals at home. Again, you get three points for being at home and Wilkes Stadium, tough place to play. Uh, Wayne State needs to prove a little bit more before I can feel comfortable enough picking them. But you know, this is another game that uh, you can you can really handicap a pretty less than a touchdown spread, I'd say. But I'm still going to take the Cardinals to get the win. So that would make them five and three and move Wayne State back to one and seven. But uh, all predictions, what are they worth? Nothing, nothing. Well, I actually take that back. They're worth a twenty three and 12 record to this date so take that for what it's worth ferris state here are my winners ferris state over michigan tech grand valley over northern michigan northwood over davenport and saginaw valley over wayne state so northwood and saginaw home winners and grand valley and ferris road winners are my predictions for week number eight on the gridiron in the gliac so all saturday afternoon games enjoy it soak it all in try to recover still if you're if you're still on cloud nine from that ferris state win in the anchor bone classic you've got a couple more days before gliac football once again kicks off in week number eight but my sincere thanks to ryan brady the head coach of the cardinals for joining me on gliac football weekly my thanks to all of you for listening in i mean this season has a full Alone by before we know it we're going to be talking playoffs we already dabbled on it a little bit here on this episode we're going to be looking ahead to the postseason but regardless of what happens i just so appreciate everybody tuning in week in and week out for gliac football weekly but that includes that concludes this edition of gliac football weekly thank you all for tuning in and until next time we remind you to go make a difference go mad have a wonderful week He's back, he's locking, no locking, he's going for the end zone, he's got a touchdown! Thanks for listening to Gliac Football Weekly, tune in next time.